Acts chapter 9. We're going to continue in the same vein that we've been in for a few weeks, miracles, and, and I'm really going to continue in the vein I've been in for several weeks uh, on conversion, the miracle of conversion this evening. I want to talk to you about Saul of Tarsus. Amen. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And he was there, he was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. I want to talk for a few moments about the miracle of conversion. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? I love you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you, Lord, for the conversion experience that each and every one of us has had. Amen. We've been touched by your hand, changed by your power, filled with your spirit. And I'm just asking in the name of Jesus that you'd stir us up all over again tonight. Uh, in Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. This is a good place to stop and, and remind you that this Sunday night is testimony service. And we've asked that, that you would prepare a testimony about your conversion experience. Talking about the miracle of conversion. We, so we, we want you to be ready to testify. And we'll, we'll kind of open the floor up to whoever. I'm not going to make anybody, but we want some testimonies about how God brought you into the church. What was your conversion experience like? And about, if you remember, Sister McCall uh, talked about hers a few weeks ago, and we, we talked about doing this. So that's going to be happening Sunday night. Come prepared to testify. Amen? Let's talk about Saul. Saul was the great persecutor of the church, and he was responsible for dragging men and women off to prison because they refused to renounce their faith in Jesus. Acts chapter 8 and verse 3 tells us, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. And when Saul asked the high priest for letters, authorizing him to leave Jerusalem and go do the same thing in Damascus. He had no idea that his life was about to be instantly, radically, and permanently changed before he ever got to the end of his 135-mile trip 
to Damascus. He did not know that he was about to become one of those that he had threatened with murder. He had no idea that his life was about to be forever changed. Tonight we're focusing on that miraculous moment when everything changes. The miracle of conversion is that watershed moment where past and future are forever divided by a single defining salvation event. Uh, Amen. What was before, amen, is gone. Uh, And what is before me, amen, is depressed toward the mark uh, of the high calling uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, And there has been a complete and total change. Amen. I'm here to tell you that God is still in the business of changing folks' lives in a single moment. There may be no better known conversion story in all history than the story of Paul. But mark it down, multiplied millions, perhaps billions of people around the world had their own stories of drastic transformation in response to their encounters with Jesus Christ. People meet Jesus every day that changes their life forever because God is still in the business of creating that miraculous moment when everything changes. Saul, we know him better as Paul, and he was a writer of much of the New Testament. But he appears for the first time in Scripture in Acts chapter 7 and verse 8. And his name at that time is Saul, and that's what we'll refer to him to most of the time through the lesson tonight. Acts 7 and 58, it says, and ca- talking about Stephen and the stoning of Stephen, and cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul was a devout man. Later in his life, after his conversion, he spoke to a mob in Jerusalem and explained his previous commitment to Judaism. He said in Acts chapter 22 and verse 3, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamiel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Amen. Saul was serious about his religion. Amen. He studied at the feet of one Gamiel, which is a Pharisee of note through history. He was a a respected doctor of the law, and he was a member of the Sanhedrin court, and he was a discerning man. And whenever Gamiel appears in Scripture, it's in a time whenever his council, the Sanhedrin, is considering what to do with these Christ followers, whether or not to harm the apostles. And Gamiel was a man who had enough discernment about him to stand and say these words in Acts chapter 5 and verse 38. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. 
For if this counsel or this word be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. Gamiel said of this, this New Testament way, this church, uh, this Jesus Christ church that was rising up, he said if it's a work of the flesh, it's going to fade away anyway. You, you, you don't even have to worry about stopping it. But if it's a work of God, you can't stop it. Uh, amen. Somebody ought to take some courage from that. Amen. This church is not here just because a man decided to open up the doors and have a church house. Uh, it's here by the hand of God. Uh, and if it's of God, uh, nothing in this world can overthrow it. Can I get an amen? amen? Gamel warned, if you fight them, you'll be found even to fight against God. But Saul did not heed his teacher's advice. Rather than leaving the believers alone, he persecuted them to the point of death. Saul was at least a second generation Pharisee. And he was determined to perpetuate his religious heritage. And in order to do that, he believed that it was necessary to do everything possible to destroy this new upstart movement. He called it all through the book of Acts, the way. Amen. The, the church is referred to as the way. There's a way of living. Amen. There's a way of acting. There's a way that he, he could identify those who were of the way. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 9, Paul said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which things I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to the death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. That, that word, the Greek text behind the translation, exceedingly mad, indicates that he was so furiously angry that he was almost out of his mind. Saul had to have been the least likely person in all of the first century to ever become a follower of Jesus Christ. He was so mad at the church for their perceived lack of respect for the tradition of Judaism that he was nearly out of his mind with rage. He described himself in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 14 as being exceedingly jealous of the traditions of his fathers. Paul had quite a pedigree. In Philippians chapter 3, he, he, in verse 5, he tells some of it. He says, circumcised the eighth day. Paul was not just circumcised. He was circumcised on precisely the right day. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was an Israelite, and he could even identify the tribe that he descended from. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. That phrase means that he was the cream of the crop. He was as the best that there was. As touching the law, a Pharisee. Amen. Pharisees were strict observers of the law of Moses as they interpreted it. 
concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law. Amen. So Paul had this this compa- or this compelling notion that it was his job to protect uh, the heritage that was given to him by his fathers, and and he thought he was doing the will of God when he was persecuting the church. When he stood before Agrippa in Acts chapter twenty six and verse five, Paul said, "After the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee, a religious man." Amen. Going back to where we started then, Saul was there when they stoned Stephen to death, and he was there because he approved of Stephen's death. He said, when they put them to death, I raised my voice against them. He was guilty by association. He was part of the bloodthirsty mob that demanded the death uh, of Stephen. Uh, But all of that happened before his Damascus Road experience. Uh, And on that road to Damascus, uh, when God stepped in, and, uh, amen. God changed everything in his life. All of a sudden, Saul was confronted by all of his wrong assumptions about God. And in a transformative experience, Saul, the persecutor, became Paul, the preacher, who preached the very same message that Stephen had been stoned to death for preaching. Think about it. Damascus is northeast of Jerusalem. It's about 60 miles from the Mediterranean Sea. It's one of the oldest continuously inhabited sites known to archaeologists in the Middle East. And it's played a key role throughout the whole of biblical history. You find Damascus in the Old Testament multiple places, but David won a great victory, a great military victory at Damascus. And now Saul planned for that famous city to become a place of defeat for those who followed the ultimate son of David, Jesus Christ. Saul had one thing on his mind as he began the six-day journey to Damascus. He planned to continue his persecution of those who believed in Jesus. And he carried documents. He had letters from the high priest in Jerusalem authorizing him to do whatever he wanted to do. Amen. And those documents were addressed to the synagogues in Damascus. According to the first century, first century Jewish historian Josephus, Thousands of Jews lived in Damascus. There was a multitude of synagogues. uh, And Saul had these letters uh, to compel the synagogues uh, to help him round up the Christians uh, and take them back for judgment. It must have been on the sixth day of his journey as he was nearing Damascus when a brilliant light from heaven shined round about him. The scripture says in Acts chapter 9 and 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. I don't know about you, but if I'm walking down the road doing God's business, feel like I'm in the right, feel like I'm doing, I'm serving God with everything I got, and then I hear this bright light descends on me, Paul would later tell it in Scripture in two different places that when he saw that light, he saw Jesus Christ. 
and it would be confirmed by Barnabas and Stephen that Saul saw Jesus. Paul saw Jesus. Matter of fact, there's a place where he says that he was seen by the twelve, and he was seen by those who saw him caught up in heaven, and he was seen by me as a disciple born out of due season. So when he looked into that light and saw the glory of God, he heard a voice. And the voice called him by name. I don't know about you, but I'm trembling right now. Amen. It, it gets a hold. I, 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 there's no way. I'm, I'm, I, I am beside myself when a voice comes out of heaven and calls me by name. Amen. He's doing the will of God, but the voice says, Why persecutest thou me? Now Saul's got to be one confused character. Amen. He, he thought he was helping God. He thought he was in the will of God. And so now his first assumption is this is God. But now he wants to know, is this really God? Who are you, Lord? And the Lord answered and said unto him, I am Jesus. That's the last thing Saul expected to hear. Saul expected to hear, I am Jehovah, God of the old time, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the ancient of days, the one who was and is and forever will be. But what he heard was, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Would you stop and think about that for a minute? Who was Saul persecuting? The church. Jesus didn't say, I am Jesus and you're persecuting my people. Jesus said, I am Jesus, and you're persecuting me, amen, because this church uh, is the body of Christ uh, in this world, amen, and when the enemy rises up against the church, uh, it rises up against Jesus Christ uh, himself, amen, and so he began to deal with the heart of Saul. He told him, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Saul has found himself exactly where Gamaliel said he would. He's fighting Jesus. He's fighting God. He's, he's on the wrong side of things. And Saul recognizes at that moment that his zeal has been misguided. He thought he was performing the Lord's service and seeking to wipe out that community of believers. But now he trembles with astonishment. Verse 6 says, And he trembled and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It's the same response that was given on the day of Pentecost. Men and brethren, what shall we do? It's a question pertaining to the very salvation of the soul. What must we do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go unto the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. I want you to understand, Saul's conversion didn't take place when he saw the light from heaven. Jesus said, Go find a preacher. And a preacher's going to tell you what you need to do. Amen. Meanwhile, the Lord visited a man by the name of Ananias in a vision. A disciple who lived in Damascus and told him that Saul was coming and that he needed to go preach to him. I've often wondered, I've often marveled at the faith of Ananias. Saul, that great persecutor. Saul, the one that whose name has been spoken throughout Christianity, as an enemy of the church, and now God is telling me, 
go and preach to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. No doubt Ananias is afraid for his life. Uh, no doubt Ananias is certain that the minute he opens his mouth, uh, the Judgment is going to come on him from the Sanhedrin. Uh, and, and, and Paul is going to be able to wrap him up in chains and drag him back to Jerusalem where he'll suffer the same fate as Stephen. But Ananias was willing to go. And he became an instrument in God's hand to further explain to Saul what he needed to do. Acts chapter 9 and verse 17 says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. And putting his hands on him, said, Brother, Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me. I'm going to stop and go back. He said unto him, You mean persecutor of the church. He said unto him, You despicable man. He said unto him, No, what he said unto him was, Brother. Saul's not converted yet. He's not experienced the plan of salvation that, that Ananias is about to tell him about. But he comes and he calls him brother. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, he sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. In a later telling of the same events, Paul, when he's telling the events later, records Ananias as saying that he needed to be baptized also. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, recording the words of Ananias from, from Paul's mouth. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Whose name is that? You see, Saul just learned this on the road to Damascus. He just looked up into heaven and said, Lord, who are you? And the Lord just spoke to him, I am Jesus. So Ananias, Saul certainly is in a repentant state, and Ananias preaches to him the same doctrine that Paul, that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. You need to repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Paul, your conversion's not done until God fills you with his Spirit. Amen? And so Paul obeys those that things that Ananias required of him because faith always results in obedience. Amen? God says build an ark, and faith says, okay, I'm going to build an ark. God says leave your country and your kindred and family and friends and, and follow me, and Abraham says, okay, I'm going to leave my country and follow me because faith always results in obedience. So Paul obeyed what Ananias told him to do. He was obviously baptized for the remission of his sins, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then he committed his life without reservation. He was one of those guys who gave himself completely to whatever he did. He gave himself fully to persecuting the church. And now he gives himself fully to propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ, that message which he once hated, that message which he was once so mad at that it was just about out of his mind. Uh, amen. He gave himself completely to the gospel of Jesus. 
Scripture even tells us that for a while he stayed with some of the disciples in Damascus. These are the very same disciples that he was coming to arrest and persecute and see put to death just a few days earlier. Had to have been uncomfortable for a day or two around the house. You know, here's the disciples and here's Saul, brother. Now, brother Saul. But even brother Saul is said somewhat with a little bit of reservation sometimes. Amen. We see that bear out in Scripture. There are those that were afraid of him and were afraid to, to come and hear him preach and teach because of the, the, the reputation that he had. But he became a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9, verse 20 says, And straightway, right away, not waiting any time, he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. That student of Scripture sat at the feet of Gabriel. All of a sudden, when the Holy Ghost comes in, he starts reading things in the Bible that the Old Testament Scripture he never even saw before. He starts reading the book of Isaiah, and there's Jesus right in the middle of the book of Isaiah. Amen. He starts reading about Moses and the Exodus, and there's Jesus right in the middle of it all. And all of a sudden, he's taking that Scripture that he studied, that he's committed to memory, that he's learned, that he has diligently given himself to, and all of a sudden, there's a new understanding that is open for him. And he's taking that same book that that the Pharisees have used to persecute the Christians uh, and to tear down the name of Jesus. And he's saying, but wait a minute, fellas. Us, this is what the book says. And they couldn't argue with him. Amen? Amen. So after Paul preached many days in Damascus, the scripture said that unbelieving Jews came up with a plan to kill him. They planned to ambush him at the city gates. But Saul learned their plan ahead of time, and he escaped as other believers let him down the wall in a basket during the night and he fled from Damascus to Jerusalem and wherever Paul went from his conversion forward he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ he preached the same message that Peter preached he preached the same message that Ananias preached uh, amen he preached that gospel that he had been so adamantly opposed to Romans chapter 15 and verse 18 says, For I will dare not to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and do, deed. Through many, blah, 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 let's try it over. Through many, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Elycrium is about 800 miles as the crow flies from Jerusalem. That was apparently the furthest reach of Paul's ministry until the point that he traveled to Rome. And Paul would eventually give up his life for this gospel. He would die a martyr's death just like Stephen did. However, he who had violently fought against Jesus and those who followed him would die at peace with the Lord. 
2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul says on the eve of his death, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. A preacher to the end. Amen. He's, he's, in, in, he's consoling himself and his followers at the very end. I, I fought a good fight. I'm ready to die. But then he begins to preach to them. There's a crown of righteousness, not just for me, but for you too. Paul's transformed life has to be one of the most unlikely conversion stories of all time. He was an enemy of the church. He was a persecutor of the church. He came up against this Jesus name message that the disciples preached. Uh, he opposed it on grounds of tradition. He, he, he opposed it on grounds of what had always been was what should always be. Amen. He opposed it on the, on the idea that this was some new thing and it was different than what he had been taught as a young man. And so he rejected it out of hand. Uh, amen. But he missed, just like all the other Pharisees did, missed the culmination and the fulfillment of the very scriptures that they studied. And the hope in the wonderful story of Paul is that if God can do it for Paul, he can do it for you. He can do it for me. This evening, the enemy of your soul doesn't want you to believe that your life can be transformed and instantly changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. He wants you to believe that what has always been is what must always be. But I'm here to tell you on a Wednesday night, it still happens today like it happened to Paul. God is still filling people with his spirit, and when he does, it is a transforming event. When someone receives a gift of the Holy Ghost like Paul did, everything in their life changes. The message of hope on this Wednesday evening is that if a person like Saul of Tarsus can be saved, then there's nobody that you know or I know that is exempt from such a wonderful salvation. His story can be the story of anyone willing to respond to God's voice and faithful obedience. Whatever road you're on, whatever may be going on in your life or the life of a family member, that road can lead to transformation just like Saul's Damascus road led him to Jesus Christ. Amen. There's no journey. There's no road. There's no, the devil will come and say, oh, you messed up. You've gone too far. You're stuck in this way. This is the way it's always been, and this is the way it's always going to be. The devil is a liar and the father of it. Amen? The truth isn't even in him. I don't care how long you've been in this thing. I don't care if you're a new convert or you're a new believer or if you've been in church 100 years. Amen? I believe in the power of a life-changing moment in the presence of God. Amen? To refresh and renew your walk with God right here, right now. Amen? The gospel is still the same tonight as it was then. Paul preached the same message that Peter preached. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. 
and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the message that Ananias brought to Paul. And when Paul obeyed that message, it changed everything. That's the miracle of conversion. Amen? Easter is just a week and a half away. I, I want to ask you to start right now and get someone on your mind that you can invite to church Easter Sunday and then pray for them every single day. Don't miss a day. Pray for them. My wife showed me a study that was conducted by a prayer ministry. And Brother Anderson, they randomly, they took a phone book, and they randomly selected 160 names. 80 of them, they sat on a list, and they prayed over them every single day. And 80 of them, they did nothing with. And at the end of 30 or 40 days of praying for those people, they picked up the phone and dialed those numbers and invited them to church. On the list of the 80 that nobody prayed for, nobody came. But on the list of the 80 that they had prayed daily for, strangers, they never, just names they found in a phone book, 60-something percent of them agreed to come to church and came to church. That's the power of prayer. Anthony Mangan said it yes, yesterday on Twitter, if we could see what prayer does, if we could just see how it works, we would not cease to pray. So I'm asking you to join with me. Once you stand with me, I'm asking you to join with me and put a soul on your heart and begin to pray for them. Pray for them specifically and do it every single day in between now and Easter and invite them to church and see if God doesn't work a miracle. Amen.